You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Caitlin, Towner, Mark, we're together again. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Back on the Beltway briefing. Towner, let's start with you. Does um, the great George Santos saga come to an end today? Our listeners will know the answer by the time they hear this, but let's let's talk about it because, I mean, first of all, yeah, this thing is just, I mean, they're going to make movies. We had a discussion last night over dinner with a bunch of Gen Zers who will remain nameless for purposes of this podcast who were speculating that his next move is to go into reality TV, oh, which yeah. is brilliant, brilliant, oh, yeah. brilliant. A little cameo on The Real Housewives of New York. Yeah, what they were saying. Brilliant. It's a pathway to the White House. Or maybe, uh, that, maybe Matt Gates started their own show or something. Hey, if Donald Trump can get elected, so can George Santos, maybe. Well, he, he did. did once. He did, <laughs> right. He did once. That's the yeah, problem. Exactly. So what so Tyler, break it down. Yeah, I mean the House is uh is voting on expulsion today. Um and two-thirds vote necessary to expel a member. Um, there is uh, some consternation amongst Republicans, for sure. Obviously, all of the Democrats are going to vote in favor of expulsion. Uh, but you still need, what, 80-something, 80, 80 82 uh, votes to uh, uh, from the Republicans uh, to meet the two-thirds threshold. And so the New York Republicans, the moderate block of the New York Republicans that won those swing seats that were redistricted uh, before the last election cycle, which quite frankly gave Republicans the House of Representatives, are the ones that are desperately pushing for him to get expelled. They are they're hanging on by their fingernails. We'll know in the next few weeks, I think, whether or not uh, Democrats were able to reduce or not reduce, but reverse, I should say, the redistricting losses that they had in New York uh, and possibly gain up to four seats in New York. But if you're Nick LaLota, if you're D'Esposito, uh, if you're Lawler, uh, those folks, you know, you desperately want George Santos gone uh, so that you can you can talk about getting rid of him, quite frankly. It's uh, it's become a political point for those moderate uh, New York GOP members. However, on the other side, you see the Freedom Caucus saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't think there's enough due process here to have uh, have justify an expulsion. And, you know, yesterday's debate on the House floor was very interesting, I thought. You had all the Freedom Caucus members standing up and saying, you know, you can't convict this guy right away. You had basically everybody else, although Democrats largely sat back and just let Republicans fight Republicans publicly on the House floor. But you had the moderate Republicans standing up and saying, hey, look, there's no due process rights in Congress. We're not putting him in jail. We're we're voting to expel him. Uh, it's something completely different. It's actually a completely different part of the Constitution. Uh, you know, Article One, Section Five, Clause Two, I believe, is is what allows the House of Representatives to not only 
set their own rules, but then also lays out a two thirds vote for expulsion of members. Now, it's just not typical. Do you actually keep the Constitution under your pillow? I don't, but I do keep it in my breast pocket of my suits at all no, times. Pocket yeah. constitution goes everywhere, and the the yeah. uh, leather bound rules book. Yeah, um, yeah, that's too big to carry around with me. But uh, Caitlin actually earlier this year uh, and a client brought it up two nights ago when we were with uh, one of our clients brought up the fact that they they had made a typing error in some of the rules manuals uh, this year. And so they had a huge trash can in Longworth filled with rules manuals. And in the midst of walking around with this client and Caitlin and I both. I stopped our group, went over to the waste services folks, and we're like, are you throwing those away? And they're like, yeah, there's a typo. You don't want them. And I was like, I need a new rules manual. And they said, well, you can't have it. And I said, well, if you're throwing it away, just give them to me. And so I stole a couple. Mark, our, um, our business well, has our, our business has matured, Mark. Yes, we, you're, showing us, matured. you're showing us your copy of the Constitution. I'd but- like to read to you from Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2. Yeah. Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, blah, blah, blah. And with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Well go. done. Well done, Towner. I nailed it. I fit uh, my well done, homework Towner. assignment. Well done, uh, Founders. Yeah. Well done, Founders, right? <laughs> so the problem is, though, in practice, it hasn't been used. We expel the House has expelled five members, three during the Civil War and two, one in 1980, I think from Abscam, if I remember correctly, and then also Jim Traficant. Both of those members in 1980 and then in 2003, two, when Traficant was expelled, both of those members were actually convicted at that point in time. The problem is that most members, when they get indicted, they're so embarrassed over their indictment, they usually resign. George Santos is not doing that. So the House is now faced with this. Well, I mean... I mean, you know, you can get elected president with multiple indictments. So why should he exactly. resign? Actually, I mean, Caitlin, I'm curious, although you might not like me putting you on the spot on this. Like, is he to me like, OK, he he's getting kicked out, I think, probably today. And I, I hope he does. He, I mean, he's an embarrassment to the country, not only his constituents, but is Donald Trump to blame for George Santos in a way? Like, is the fact that Donald Trump is like, obviously, you know, my opinion, I think he's made a mockery of government on a lot of levels. Is he, is, is the fact that he's done what he's done cover for George Santos? No, I'm going to blame uh, the DCCC Oppo Research Department on this one for for giving us uh, George Santos and to to an extent as well the recruitment efforts of the NRCC um, for you know finding this guy and pulling him out of uh, whatever hole he climbed out of uh, to run for this key swing seat in New York to begin with. But I hear what you're saying, Howard. I, I do think you know the, the frustration around kind of the decline of our institutions and what it takes to be a leader in this nation and to run for office. I do think we have certainly seen uh, a little bit of decline on that. And but but I but I still to this day am just absolutely shocked that he got this far. He won election in a key. This is not some safe Republican. He's a con, yeah, he's a con artist. And it shows you how lazy people are because they didn't do their homework. 
You know, so, all right, Matt Gates in his speech on the floor yesterday, uh, which was highly entertaining, if not totally demoralizing uh, from from the prospects of a democracy, but raised the point where I had to admit I couldn't I couldn't refute the point, which is we're kicking out George Santos, who's got indicted now for campaign finance violations, campaign finance violations for spending money on his own clothes and OnlyFans and Botox and and whatever else. That's what he's been indicted for at this point. However, Bob Menendez, again, attended classified briefings on Israel in the Senate as the gold bars with Arab lettering were were confiscated from him. And yet, uh, you know, we're setting. And so his Gates's point was we're setting a new precedent where we're now kicking you out for expulsion or for indictments, not convictions. And his argument is precedent versus what is, is yeah. practical in the House. But and it's not about point. it's not to me, it's not about like whether you've been convicted of a crime. It's whether you're fit to serve. And those are not – that's not the same standard. Well, well, Howard, you might think there's a there's a handful more uh, House yeah. Republican members that, in your view, might not be fit to serve. Who sets that standard? But No, no, that's not no, – no, I mean, it's one thing to take extreme policy positions. It's another thing to be a con artist who Has invented a persona. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean – well, there's no question about the legitimacy of Menendez's election. It's his conduct in office that is deplorable. And right. if I had a vote, I would vote to kick him out. But what's different about Santos to me is that his election was illegitimate because of the crimes. I don't I think it's a, yeah, a good point. Yeah, it is a much higher bar to expel a member for conduct in office. If you can't police the legitimacy of the election itself, then it's not, it's no longer a club. Just open the doors and let everybody come in, which I guess happened on January 6th, but that's a different podcast. There wasn't a lot of opening of doors from the inside. Not from the inside. (laughs) No, but that's what makes the Santos case so easy for you can't seat members who stole their elections. Right. I mean, it it draws a line, though. Yeah, it draws right. a line between, you know, I, look, I don't know a single member of Congress, and I know many honest ones, actually, that I think are exceptionally good people on both sides of the aisle, but I don't know a single one who's followed through on every campaign promise, for example. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's well, overrated. Yeah, it draws, it definitely draws a line there and says too much is too much it's right it's interesting god mark no i i i agree not all broken campaign promises delegitimize the election but stealing the money that people gave you to run for election that shouldn't be okay yeah i mean as a membership matter it's obviously not okay as a criminal matter. but to me it's well to me, it's more about claiming to have worked at Goldman Sachs, claiming that his parents are Holocaust survivors, right. you know, claiming this and claiming that. Like, I don't even care about I care, but yeah. 
the legal violations, he'll have his day in court and those will be addressed. It's the completely falsified persona, as I yeah. as I as I said once when this story broke in the first instance, there's this show on Netflix or something called Inventing Anna that I've been forced to watch a couple of episodes of by Felicia. And it's like the political version of inventing Anna. Yeah. I don't know if any of you had the pleasure of watching. Yeah, that, I, uh, that is, is this Nickelback guy on that show? Are you staying at the Beekman Tower in New York? Wait, that was yeah. a, a featured storyline. Oh, really? Yes. No, I didn't catch that. Nobody one. on the podcast yeah. has heard our conversations. Mark, does, we discovered this morning, does not know who Nickelback is. And Nickelback happens to be Rodney's favorite band of all time. I thought it was a Colin Whitehead Pulitzer Prize winning book. I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> Fountainhead? Uh, okay, so. Well, but, you know, this harkens back to, like, the college scandal. Remember when people were putting, members of Congress and other, and academics were putting degrees they didn't earn on their resumes and things along those lines. I mean, that's sort of. That's I mean, child's this went, play compared this went, to this. It's yeah, way on steroids. This guy needs yeah. medical attention and help and psychiatric observation. Yeah, I mean, but it's interesting under that logic, we are removing him for not the things he's been indicted for, which is interesting as well. Well, I don't think the House of Representatives at the given moment wants to set a precedent of taking action on the basis of people having been indicted, Towner, because there's this guy running for president yeah. <laughs> in the Republican yeah. primary. An awesome transition, by the way. Yeah. Who, <laughs> who, has a couple of indictments pending and seems to be doing pretty well amongst the Republican electorate. You know, so that that ain't a road the Republicans want to go down. Now, is it? You got to have a few good indictments these days if you want to run for office. I think it's it's just sort of a badge of honor, it seems. Breaking news. Speaker Johnson will not vote to expel Santos. Yep. Interesting. Well, Towner and I will see him this evening and we'll ask him about that. Caitlin, how are you looking at the Republican primary at this point? X of let's just say X of Trump. Well, I was really pleased to see Americans for Prosperity this week. You know, one of the the leading uh, center right pro business Republican, you know, pro free market organizations with one of the largest grassroots armies and grassroots turnout operations announced on Tuesday that they're endorsing Nikki Haley for president. Caused a lot of consternation with the Ron DeSantis camp, who historically has been pretty close with AFP and AFP leadership. Uh, I think they gave they probably gave him a long runway, but his campaign has, you know, hasn't been uh, doing all that great over the course of the past couple of months. And I was really pleased to see, I think, you know, Axios called it um, a, a game changer and kind of the, one of the largest Republican grassroots armies unleashed for Nikki Haley. Yeah, Haley Sprout's grassroots army overnight. Really pleased to see, hoping that that helps, you know, in the polls and that we see more of the Republican Party coalesce behind a candidate. You know, we still got Chris Christie out there. We still got... Ron DeSantis, we need to start coalescing behind someone in the, 
non-Trump lane in order to really seriously be able to give the former president a run for his money in this primary. Still, you know, Trump's to lose, unfortunately, but um, was was good, was proud to see that and was happy to see that, you know, one of the largest center-right organizations has come out supporting Nikki Haley. I'm not but, sure Mark would agree with the center-right, with the center part of the characterization, but I guess in today's day and age, they are. Any port in a storm. I'm all for Nikki Haley being the nominee, even though I do think she would be much harder for President Biden to beat. But any port in a storm, anything that keeps Trump off that ticket, I'm all for. But my my question, Caitlin, I know how it works on our side of the aisle. I'm, I'm just not sure if it's the same on yours. Doesn't this have to happen fast? Mm-hmm. The Iowa caucuses are in 40 some days. Less than on that. our side of the aisle, you know, if, if you don't come out of Iowa and New Hampshire ahead, you, you have a very hard time. You can get to South Carolina, as we know, and turn it around. Yeah, I was going to say. No, no. But the whole thing, my point is the whole thing's over in February. Yeah, so, but. Can it happen that fast uh, for her is really my question. Well, I sure hope so. But you're absolutely right. The clock is not looking good. And that's why we need the field to coalesce around Nikki Haley at this point. You know, Chris Christie certainly had a role to play on those first couple debate stages and being the strongest anti-Trump voice. But he's got no shot. It's high time for him to, you know, drop out and, and endorse Haley. We have seen some former Tim Scott big donors flock to Nikki Haley. That's been positive to see. Jamie Dimon came out this week and urged his Democratic, you know, even saying even if you're a Democrat, we have to have a viable alternative to Donald Trump, encouraging some of the big Wall Street funders and donors to to give to Nikki. So, well, yeah, exactly. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful. I think there's some positive momentum this week still, but the clock is ticking. And we are now at a point where if the Republican field doesn't narrow and coalesce behind someone other than Trump, we will wind up with Donald Trump. I think I'm hopeful for all of our sake that um, we have an emperor's new clothes thing going on. If she can somehow manage with Americans for Prosperity or or however to beat him somewhere early, I, I could see his candidacy uh, coming apart. But she's got to beat him by the end of February or this thing's done. Well, when is South Carolina? February. February. So I mean, that's if she doesn't win South Carolina, if well, she doesn't win her home state, she's toast. If she's close in New Hampshire. Yeah. She's got to win New Hampshire. I mean, I don't think so. She just has to be close. Well, she's certainly got to be second. She can't be behind DeSantis. Which I don't think is necessarily a problem. So you have everybody who's anti-Trump. So I'm not putting DeSantis actually in that category since he's going after the same electorate, essentially, um, or the same wing of the Republican Party that Trump is. And and obviously Vivek is not in that camp as well, but everybody else. And this dates back to, you know, the beginning of the campaign, really, on the primary side for Republicans, including the Will Hurds of the world and and the like, are all under the same general plan, which is Trump's going to win Iowa. It's possible DeSantis comes in second. 
whoever is the nominee that we would all support will come in third, theoretically. That nominee then has to show really dang well in New Hampshire because that's your moderate influence. And that's a place where, quite frankly, Trump can lose in New Hampshire, actually. I mean, there's a there's a there's still a possibility that Trump doesn't win in New Hampshire. Well, you have independents who can vote. Maybe. Yes, and Democrats. Well, can we, can we be a little, a little careful here? Because, look, Nikki Haley was Donald Trump's UN ambassador. She was in the last administration. This is absolutely me pivoting and trying to have it both ways, which unfortunately Republicans in primaries that want to be win election have to do in today's day and age. But she was a very conservative governor. She brought a ton of business to South Carolina. She's not like this, you know, rhino, which is what the DeSantis campaign is now trying to claim she is. She's a conservative. She's part of the last administration. Yes, she is distanced herself from her former boss, but in no way is she, you know, some I just want it's to be careful Chris, if we've got any, uh, you know, Trump primary voters listening to it. She, she's a good conservative leader that espouses the Reagan Republican platform of the Republican Party. Yeah, she's and a crazy. conservative state. <laughs> yeah. She's not what, Tyler? She's just not crazy. Yes. Well, and, and so, I got to tell you, I know more than one lifelong vote the ticket Democrat who would vote for Nikki Haley in a Biden-Haley election, but of course is not voting for Donald Trump. So she she is somehow having it both ways right now. Mm-hmm. This is her well, moment. And right now she's got people like the two guys I had lunch with yesterday who all protect here, who said, oh yeah, give me a ballot with Nikki Haley on it and I'll take it. So it's not about her as as a candidate or as a person, it's about appealing to the voters that otherwise are predisposed to vote for Donald Trump. It's about being in sync with what makes them tick, which is she has to have a message that appeals to people who legitimately feel left behind. Like I always go back to the core reason I hate Trump, but I don't hate the people that vote for Trump because they have a legitimate gripe with air quotes, the system, I believe. I I think they're right to feel left behind. They're right to feel like the world is taking, like the country is taking care of everybody else and not them. It's, and, and you, she needs to actually have a message that appeals to these people because I mean, Trump's message is burn it down. And that appeals to people because they feel like they have no other choice. So let's, and Hillary's message was, you're all horrible people, which isn't a great way to appeal to people. Nikki needs a message. It's not just about Nikki as like in her past life. She needs to appeal to folks. You don't think running on the I'm not a criminal ticket is, uh, that's not enough of a message? Apparently it's a disadvantage. Right. (laughs) Hey. I mean. Yeah, I think her her mess. No, I agree with you. And and it's what Caitlin's saying. She can deliver a message to the um, Trump voters. That's who she's been. She is. But I don't think it's about Mark. Sorry, I don't think it's about her being air quotes conservative, because I don't think that the people that are voting for Donald Trump are voting for him because he's a conservative. Because he's not even a freaking Republican. <laughs> he's not. 
I mean, he is now, but that's just, sure. it was just a vessel. Yeah. The Republican Party is a vessel for Donald Trump. He doesn't care about anybody or anything. He cares about himself. And so if she knocks him out, does he keep running? He'll you you heard it here first. He will never not run. He'll run a write-in campaign if she knocks him out. I don't know. That's too much brain damage for me. He has to keep running. He his freedom is on the line. And he will never not run, is my opinion. I mean, right now he's running on the basis of Attack, he, he's now attacking the judge's wife in his yeah. fraud trial. And that's his message is the system. Well, no, no, we're, that and we're repealing Obamacare now. Oh, is he? Is that? Yeah, that was, yeah that's yeah. back. Oh, oh good. Yeah, we haven't tried yeah, that. Repeal. But you may notice, Caitlin and Towner, that the message used to be repeal and replace. Now it's just repeal. Straight up. We're, we're, we're not going to have any health care system. No, no. Cash rules. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think she needs to be able to appeal directly to some of the people out there that have a legitimate gripe with the system. An economic message. Does she, yeah. though? Does she? Because I, I'm going to counter this only by saying Joe Biden is president of the United States right now because he wasn't Donald Trump. And... That's what he ran on. He didn't run on anything proactive. No offense to Joe Biden. I honestly don't mean that as an offensive statement at all. He ran as as just not being Donald Trump for the most part. And, you know, I well, mean, no, he, he wasn't Donald. He, you're right. in this respect. Joe Biden's 2020 candidacy was all about who he wasn't. He wasn't Donald Trump and he wasn't Bernie Sanders. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Cool. So if you're Nikki Haley and you're saying that, like, really the hardcore Trump support in the Republican Party, let's say, is in the is in the low 40s to mid 40s, then that means there's more than half of Republicans who are still theoretically gettable. And if you're not Donald Trump, you could theoretically win. Now, Donald Trump, once he's the nominee, starts polling in the mid to upper 40s from an electorate standpoint, just because. Because all the Republicans will, a lot of Republicans will still vote for him if he's the Republican nominee. But, but there's still even a path for Nikki Haley to just not be Donald Trump and potentially still win. So we had a client in town this week for a bunch of meetings on the Hill who lives in northern New Hampshire, in oh. rural northern New Hampshire. I said, "Are there any?" I said, "Do you have Trump signs around?" He goes, "He goes, Howard, <laughs> everywhere." Yeah. That's all we have. Is it any signs for anybody else? Not so much. You got to peel off some of these people. So what happens if Nikki Haley wins New Hampshire with independents and Democrats voting in favor of her and then they go to South Carolina and she's won New Hampshire and he's won Iowa? Like, is it enough to swing South Carolina? Listen, if she... She's the former governor. If she can't win her own state, she's she's done. She's not even remotely close right now. Well, right. There's a lot of time between. So again, other side of the aisle, but let me let me get educated from Towner and Caitlin. Isn't an additional hurdle for her that if DeSantis drops out, it doesn't really help her? Those Right. Don't those people go to Trump? Isn't Trump even farther ahead than the polls say? 
Yeah, on about a two to one basis, I think the polls are saying that those people go to Trump. We don't really know, though. The fundamental difference. We don't know if they'll show on Election Day. Right. Most of these people don't even care about the federal government. They don't want it to exist. So why they're voting, I don't even know. So, well, because (laughs) that's exactly why they're voting. (laughs) They're voting for a guy who wants to burn it down. Yeah. To me, the fundamental difference, I mean, one of the major differences between her and others is she's not as isolation. She's not an isolationist. Mm -hmm. She's the more traditional foreign policy Republican. Which is now apparently a detriment to a Republican candidate, which is sad and unfortunate. Right. And, and, And but that's like very fundamental to who she is. I'm not sure how that plays itself out, but. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's especially going to be interesting if we have a guy who's on trial running for president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to so, be. Wait, I have, I have a question. If Trump were to be convicted before the election. Yeah. So he's a convicted felon either under Georgia law or federal law. Mm-hmm. Can he vote for himself? It depends on what state he's in. You know, Democrats have been trying to get felons voting. Yeah, yeah. I think, what about Florida? (laughs) He'd probably move to California just so he could vote for himself. (laughs) Caitlin will know the answer. Can he vote for, can he cast a vote in Florida? In Florida, if he's serving his sentence, he can't. If he is a former felon, so if you're off parole and out of the halfway house or what have you, you can vote for yourself. There was a constitutional amendment proposal in Florida so that people that are on parole, I think, and in halfway houses could vote in elections. I don't think that passed. I got to recall. But, but in if Florida, certainly, convict, if your conviction's your on appeal, I think it's, it's I got to get my here. I got to read my Constitution again. Well, I think the founders may have left a loophole here. No, for that's another, a states' rights issue. States for another beltway briefing yeah. for another beltway briefing. But it's certainly interesting to to play that out and see what happens. You can serve, but Are you can't Are they going to let Hunter Biden vote? Has he been convicted? No, but. It's, it's interesting. I mean, Trump's a Florida resident now. And yeah. Florida states that we used to look at as swing states, Florida, like Florida and Ohio. Yeah. Florida and Ohio were the states that decided elections 20 years ago. 25 years ago, there no Ohio, Pennsylvania, win two out of three, you get the White House. And Florida's gone to the R's. So Ohio, Ohio, at least for the time gone. being, is gone. It's just, that's for another another Beltway briefing, but it's, I mean, I guess it's population dynamics and demographics, but it's it's interesting just how in a single generation that has all shifted and is no longer viable swing state territory. What's interesting is what the swing states are now. Rust Belt. Yeah. Midwestern. Right. Plus Georgia and Arizona, I mean, Mm -hmm. are super interesting. It's super interesting. Well, we'll save that for another episode, but Caitlin, Mark, Towner, spirited as always. That was a fun one. And we'll be back next week, hopefully without George Santos. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies 
with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.